Good morning. It is good to see everyone this morning. I'm glad you're here. Uh, it's great to be in the Lord's house. It's great to be in worship together, and it's great to be uh, before the Word. We're going to look in just a few minutes at Acts chapter eight, Acts chapter nineteen, and Acts chapter twenty. We're going to look at a handful of passages in those two chapters. Uh, but before we do, I just need to tell you something about Susan and I. We both like history. And that's where the similarities end. We completely like completely different parts of history. We completely see history completely differently. I like to learn and read about presidents and inventors and generals and statesmen. And she likes buttons. Last year when we were coming back from vacation, we found ourselves on U.S. Highway 80 between Montgomery and Selma. And as we're driving along, we began to recognize that this is the very historic road that was the scene of the Selma to Montgomery Voters' Rights March in 1965. And we began to just see some roadside signs and markers along the way. About halfway between Montgomery and Selma, there is a particular museum that marks one of the stopping points of that march uh, for justice and that march for, for freedom. And so we pulled off and we went inside of that museum there. Now, I would like to think that when we go and visit a museum, that Susan and I would just kind of stroll through the museum holding hands and just enjoying all of the exhibits together. Well, that's not really how it goes. Almost from the moment we walk in, we just kind of split and head different ways. We've got different pacing. Our eyes catch different things. And so we spent a little bit more than an hour in the museum there, and then as we, we left there, you know, we began to talk about our experience, and Susan began to talk about, do you remember those shoes that we saw there? Like, shoes? I don't remember seeing any shoes. She says, you remember that bag and, and the things that were in the bag and the things that people traveled with? Like, I don't I don't remember that at all. And we began to unpack our visit to the museum, and it's as though we had spent time in two completely different museums. See, partly our eyes were drawn in different directions. I went and looked at all the exhibits and paid attention to all the little labels and markings that had to do with the leaders, the, the men and women at the front of that march that led that, put it together, and made it happen, and, and some of the tensions that they had to fight through and deal with, and all of the things, the obstacles that they had to come overcome in that. But when Susan walked through that museum, she wasn't nearly as interested in who was at the front of that march as she wanted to know what it was like to be a regular person in the middle of that march. A man, a woman, a child, a grandparent, there in the middle of that march. What was it like to be one of the regular people in the middle of that march? She Likes to read one of her favorite books that she ever read was the history of the Middle Ages, but it was all about uh, cooking and cleaning, and there was like 80 pages on buttons. She still talks about Middle Ages buttons. She loves that because it's the regular life of a regular person. And in many cases, there are far more books that are written about the famous people, but life happens at the level 
of the regular people. That that's where the change happens. That's where things happen. And while we're taking this time to look at Ephesus as a church story, we, we've talked about some of the leaders that were up front in that church. But this morning, we're going to try to figure out what is it like to be a regular person in that church, to be a believer, someone that you can kind of relate to. What is the experience of just the regular member of the church in Ephesus. I think what we're going to see together as we look at this passage of Scripture is that we're going to see that the believers in Ephesus embraced the patterns, the priorities, and the purpose of Jesus. Now, it doesn't all happen at one time. It, it takes a bit of time for that to unfold in their lives. But increasingly, the believers in Ephesus are embracing the patterns the priorities, and the purpose of Jesus. We're going to see this in these couple of chapters here. Are you ready? Cool. Well, we're going to go anyways. Um, uh, Acts chapter 19, beginning with verse 1. It says, And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. Remember, he had said that they had asked him to stay the last time he was there. He's like, I I've got to go, and he had to get to Jerusalem. He says, If the Lord wills, I'll come back. Well, it turns out the Lord did will, and here he is. He comes back. He came to Ephesus. And there he found some disciples... And he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. He said to them, into what were you baptized? They said, into John's baptism. Paul said, John baptized with baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him. That is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, and when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying, and there were 12 men in all. Now, what we have here in Ephesus is a picture of 12 people who were part of that church. And if I were to describe it to you, these are 12 guys that are trying really, really hard, trying to move in the right direction. But man, they are lost. They are completely lost. Notice in this passage of Scripture, they're not even sure who Jesus is in this passage of Scripture. That's how lost it is, going to church without meeting Jesus. That's a degree of lostness. Now, I'm going to tell you that I have some sympathy for them. Because some of us forget what it's like to be dropped inside of the family of God. Some of us forget what it's like to all of a sudden leave an old life and all of a sudden be entered into life. Many of us were born into this life. Many of us were born into the experience of church and all those things. But imagine if all of a sudden you had never been in a church before and now you are in church. It would be a lot like being dropped into an advanced calculus class. Mid-semester, being taught in Russian. You're like, whoa, what on earth is going on here? And so these men are in here, and they are struggling with the most basic of pieces. And so Paul has to come along and says, hey, you guys, have you experienced the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life? No. Well, well, that's what happens when you accept Jesus as your Savior. Like, who's Jesus? Okay, we got to back up, and there has to be some instruction, and there has to be teaching. 
And so Jesus is the whole lesson that Paul teaches them, and Paul has to explain to them, this is who Jesus is, and this isn't just about repentance, this is about salvation. See, John taught us to prepare for Jesus, but i got to tell you about who Jesus is because he's the one that brings the salvation. And so all of a sudden, this is a new pattern for their thinking. Imagine the other things that they still had to learn. Imagine the things that they still had to learn about prayer. They have grown up in a culture surrounded by a bunch of dead stone idols. How do you learn about prayer when you're used to just speaking to stone that is dead and not alive? Paul has to teach them. He spends two plus years in this place teaching them the patterns. They are used to worship that is basically the idea that on special days and special occasions they go through a couple of ceremonies and that counts as worship. Someone has to teach them that no, worship is alive. Worship is a dynamic interaction between the living God and your soul. Someone has to teach these early believers how to study the Word of God for themselves. Because they're going to be flooded with all different kinds of opinions from here and here and here and here. How are they going to know which is truth and which isn't truth? And so Paul spends these years with them and says, this is how we study the Old Testament. These are the stories of Jesus. This is how we apply them to our life. You see, these believers needed to come to the place where they learn the patterns of Jesus. Prayer, worship, intake of the word, sharing their faith. They'd never heard of these things before. But now, in Christ, being discipled by Paul and by others, they begin to learn and to develop these things. I think it's interesting. We are introduced to these guys at the beginning of the chapter here. And to be honest with you, uh, the Greek term here is knuckleheads. Uh, they, 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 they don't know the difference between John the Baptist and Jesus. That, that, that's 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 kind of tough, but I want you to notice that by the end of that little paragraph, Luke kind of puts a little bit of a hint here and says, there happen to be 12 of these guys. Now, in your head, you're supposed to say, now where have I heard of 12 knuckleheads before? That's it. The disciples. You see, the very same pattern that began with the disciples is going to repeat itself here in Ephesus. And it's supposed to repeat itself here in Hammond, at Woodland Park Baptist Church. That they are moving from people who do not know, but are discovering new patterns for their life. I also want you to see in, in this chapter, I want you to see that they not only had new patterns, but they had new priorities. Check this out. Later in the chapter here, it's verses 18 through 20. And what I want you to notice, that there's no leader that's pushing this. There's no person up front saying, okay, folks, this is what you have to do. But I want you to watch the reaction that happens in their lives. The regular believer of the church of Ephesus, in verse 18, it says, And many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found that it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. 
See, here's what happened. They began to follow the patterns of Jesus in prayer and studying the Word and worship and sharing their faith. And as they continued to develop those patterns of Jesus, they began to realize that there were some things that didn't fit in the new pattern of their life. And they began to realize that there were some things that fit better with who they used to be and not who they had become in Christ. And so multiple things that just seemed like it would have been ordinary, they suddenly began to look at this and say, wait a minute, this doesn't belong in my life anymore. This isn't current to who I am. This doesn't reflect to where I've given my life and declared my faith to be. And so in their case... One of the points of conviction, one of the points of things that just jarringly doesn't fit in their life anymore were these books and books of magical incantations. This whole system of what their life used to believe. Now this was a big deal. This is what the city was kind of built around. This is probably some of this material may have been handed down from generation to generation. These things would have been venerated. These things would have been a big deal. These things would have been bought and sold for great expense. But that church began to look at how their lives were becoming more like Christ and said, this doesn't fit. And they began to identify things that didn't fit. And they didn't just say, I should do that less. They said, you know what, let's have a bonfire. And they brought those books, and they burned them in the sight of all. I want you to see the commitment that they have at that point that says, you know what, this isn't who I am anymore. And they lit it on fire. I want you to see the cost. It tells us that it was over 50,000 pieces of silver. I don't know how much that is, but, but I bet you can get a good lunch for that. 50,000 pieces of, of, of silver. I bet you that's, that's, that's money. You know, it's interesting. It says, this was done in the sight of all, and they added up the cost. You know who added up the cost? I think it was the crowd. I don't think it was the believers like, well, you know what? That's $300 worth of stuff there. I think they just got rid of it and says, you know what? This is worthless to me. But I think the crowd was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's a $500 piece. Wait, wait, wait. wait don't do that one. Because they saw the worth of it. But when they saw that these things didn't match the pattern of their lives in Christ anymore, they made a commitment to get rid of it, despite what the cost was. And I want you to know that impact it had on that community that watched and said, wow, these people are serious. These people have had their life completely rewired. They have had their priorities completely turned upside down. They're not just talking. This is for real change inside of their life. So there's commitment, there's cost, and there's, there's impact on, on the people around them. But I also want you to know that it wasn't just an outward thing. But when they got rid of these things in their life, I want you to know it had a profound impact on their own faith. You see, I think probably what happens is that sometimes as a believer, we, we still have some stuff in our old life, and we still have some stuff in our new life. And sometimes we are caught in this awkward middle ground between who I used to be and who I'm becoming in Christ. And it's kind of awkward to be in two places at once. But here's what happens. There become pressure points on our life. Stress, peer pressure, whatever those pressure points may be, 
discouragement. That oftentimes in those pressure points, we reach back to the old stuff. And as long as that old stuff was hanging around their house, at the moment of those pressure points, they were going to reach the wrong direction. And so they said, this stuff doesn't fit in my life. I'm getting rid of it. Now listen, this doesn't take the greatest preacher in the world to apply this here. But let me tell you that you and I still have things in our life that we're clinging on to that belonged in our old life before Christ and don't belong in our new life in Christ. And some of the reason why we're not growing like we should be spiritually is because we're hanging on to stuff that just doesn't belong in this life. Let me challenge you as God brings those things to your mind that you would be ready to say whatever the commitment, whatever the cost, whatever the, the scuttlebutt in the neighborhood would be if I got rid of this. I'm ready to lay it down so that I can move into who Christ has me to be. Now, that's a hard thing. Let me just kind of run through a little bit of a quick checklist on how to know whether this is something that, that belongs in my new life or not. So let me just run through here. The first question is, is it opposite the Word and the way of God? Now listen, there's a big stuff there. There are quite a few things that are, I'm holding on to. There are quite a few things that you're holding on to that you just know that's opposite of what God says. But I still like it. I'm still comfortable with it. I can still do it without thinking. Well, if it's opposite the word or the way of God, then it's got to go. The second thing is, does this harm my spirit? Does this harm my soul? You know the kind of things that I'm talking about. There are just things that when you move in that direction, when you dabble in that direction, when you intake those kinds of things, when you, when you chase after those kind of things, you, you just know that it's putting some wear and tear on your soul. And if you don't know it, the people around you know it. You may have a blind spot to it in this moment. The people around you who know you and love you can identify there are things that are going on. When you chase after that, you come back out smaller, weaker, harder, instead of softer and stronger and more grace-filled. Is this harmful to my spirit? Watch. Take a fast from some of that stuff and see what happens to your life. Like if you drop some of things for two weeks, man, you suddenly be start breathing some fresh air. And you didn't even realize the weight that some of this stuff had on your life. The, the third test that I would say here um, is, man, what is this doing to my resources Man, we, we all have limited resources, whether it's money, time, energy, passion, excitement, waking hours, whatever it may be. You've only got so much of each one of those. Are there some things in your life that now, based on who you are in Christ, you need to reconfigure how you spend those resources? 
money, time, energy, passion, excitement, words, thoughts, whatever. You've only got so much. Are you spending those resources in the places that you, you should, or are there some things that are just draining you that you need to be able to spend those resources someplace else? And then the last piece is, is it something that is harmful to my witness? You ever watch one of those TV shows where they, they, they put a witness on the stand and, and the first lawyer asks them a couple of questions and, and the first lawyer is trying to get these leading answers from them and, and boy, the, the, the witness says everything that the lawyer wants them to say. I mean, this is just perfect for the case. This is great. He, he has seen everything he was supposed to see, a pure identification or something like this. You know, the, the classic one of these is, you know, I saw that person at that time. I know it was exactly them. That, that was them. And then incredible examination you know they have someone try to read the clock on the back wall and they can't read it because their eyesight you know doesn't go past their elbow you know it, all of a sudden their witness has been impeached and they said you can trust me on this but if you dig a little bit deeper you realize no we can't trust you on that and we don't know whether you can trust you on any of that stuff every once in a while as much as we want to have a witness, as much as we want to say, I stand with Jesus, and we put all the right things on Facebook, but there's something that bubbles out of our mouth, our reactions to people, the way we interact with who knows what. But all of a sudden people say, well, you know what? All the things that you said, I don't know whether that's believable anymore. So there are some things that just don't belong in our life. Is it opposite the word? Is it harmful to my spirit? Is it draining my resources? Is it harmful to my witness? I want to move to one more thing that changed about these regular believers in the church in Ephesus. And we jump over to chapter 20 and verses 17 and following. And we're going to move down in the chapter. This is that they have a new purpose it says, now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, and he has a long teaching section in this place. Just a quick footnote. I believe that a significant number of these elders that we're going to see are overseers of the church come from that group of knuckleheads who couldn't tell the difference between John the Baptist and Jesus in chapter 19. Now, can I prove that? Well, here's a couple of things. One, I think that that emphasis that there were 12 of them is saying these are leaders. I think the other thing is, where else are the leaders going to come from? This church is two years old. It's three years old. Are they going to ship in spiritual leaders from someplace else? No, they're not. This is where it comes from. So it's not a perfect number for number, but I'm telling you, there is an overlap between the, the folks in chapter 19 and the folks in chapter 20. I would also tell you that every single spiritual giant, every single spiritual leader that you know of in your life started with spiritual immaturity. Every single spiritual giant, every single spiritual leader that you know in your life started with spiritual immaturity. How do I know that? Because nobody is born with spiritual maturity. And in fact, no one is even born again with spiritual maturity. That process takes time. But now we pick this up here in a verse. Where are we going here? Uh, we're now in verse 28. 
Paul says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all of the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. These guys are now the leaders to care for the church of God. He says, watch after yourself so that you can watch over the church. Now listen to this next phrase, which he obtained with his own blood. You don't think being a spiritual leader in a church is a big deal. He says, watch yourself so that you can oversee and care for the church. Yeah, the church that he poured out his blood to obtain. Let's continue on that. He says, pay careful to yourselves and to all the flock which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, listen to this, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Hear this. These men who went from spiritual immaturity are now the spiritual leaders of the church. They have a new purpose. As overseers, they are to lead. As overseers, they are to protect the church. Did you hear about the dangers that he talks about in the church? He says protect the church because there are wolves, not just wolves, but there are fierce wolves around you that are seeking and ready to devour your flock. Let me tell you, that's still true today. There, there are false teachers. There are people who want to divide the church. There are people who want to harm the church. And it is the role of the spiritual leaders of the church to say, no, we will not allow that. But I also would point out, he says, there are fierce wolves out there. And he says there are twisted people inside of the church as well. And spiritual leadership is called upon to protect the church from the fierce wolves that are out there and the people even from inside of the congregation that will do the congregation harm. Spiritual leaders, it is your job to protect the church because that becomes your purpose. I would also tell you that the spiritual leaders are not only to lead and to protect, but they are to love. In this passage of Scripture, he says, I stayed with you for three years, night and day, and pleaded with you, admonished you with my tears. It wasn't just intellectual. It wasn't just a job. It wasn't just a battle that he had to fight from one side or the other. But he poured his whole heart, his whole love and affection and care for them. Because that became their new purpose. That they were to protect and lead and care for and love the flock that Jesus had given his own blood for. There is still the process where God is raising up spiritual leaders in the life of our church. Remember, every spiritual leader started with spiritual immaturity. But every spiritual leader should have grown out of spiritual immaturity as well. 
Let me try to put some quick applications to this passage this morning. Three quick things. What is the radical thing that you're supposed to get rid of in your life these days? What is this thing that's been clinging on, that you've been clinging to, it's been clinging to you, that belongs in your past and not in your present or your future? Man, it could be really awkward. It could be really costly. It could be really dramatic. It could really make the people around you scratch their head. But it could have a great impact on your testimony and your own spiritual development. Is there something in your life that's got to be lit on fire, given the boot, not in that order, lit on fire, gotten rid of, tossed aside? Secondly, who are you drawing into the life of the church? You know, one of the things is about those 12 guys that didn't know the difference between John the Baptist and Jesus, you know what I love about them? They were inside of the church so that they could learn the difference between John the Baptist and Jesus. We need, we need some more people in the life of our church that don't even know who Jesus is. I mean, they're out there. But we need to be reaching some of those folks so that we can see them discipled and follow the patterns, the priorities, and the purpose of Jesus. And then I would ask you, has your faith reached the purpose level of your life? Now there's the intellectual level. There's the activity level. But has your faith reached the purpose level of your life where you say that the priorities, the patterns, and the purpose of God is the reason I'm alive today? Man, would you see what God wants to point out in your life on those questions? In just a moment, we're going to turn your chair into some sacred space. Whether you kneel or sit or stand or whatever it is that you need to do, would you pay attention to what God has for your life? And maybe at some point in this week, you can even have a conversation with someone and say, man, these are some of the things that our pastor challenged us with this week about our patterns and our priorities, things that we need to get rid of, people that we're trying to have influence on. Maybe you can even have a conversation about that so that you can share what God is doing in your life and you can hear what God is doing in someone else's life. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, oh, thank you that you love us, that you care for us, that you have a word for us. Lord, I pray that you would speak into this place in this very moment. Lord, give what's needed. Lord, it's possible that some life-changing decisions are about to be made. It's possible that there are about to be some things lit on fire that just have got to go. And this is the moment for some of those changes. Lord, we pray this in your name. Amen.